Hello, and welcome to Playability, where we hold conversations at the crossroads of gameplay and accessibility. I'm your host, Rebecca Strang, and I'm joined today by Erte Shashko, the host of Sightless Fun, a podcast about visual accessibility in board gaming. Welcome to the show, Erte. Oh, hello. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So let's jump right into this with talking about what accessibility in gaming means to you. Um, well... Accessibility, I'd say the ability to play and more importantly, enjoy a game. I am saying more importantly to enjoy because, for instance, now that I cannot see properly anymore, Mm -hmm. I know the rules of chess. I know how the chess pieces move, but I'm not really able to enjoy it. So that game, even though the pieces are accessible, like you can distinguish the pieces, uh, you can get different pieces for black and white players mm. because like the decision space is huge. The game is not fun for me anymore. So I'd consider that an inaccessible game for me personally. Those people that are blind and can play chess competitively are amazing. I don't know how they do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, another like For instance, I go with a video game. It's a card game. The last video game that I actually played was called Hearthstone. And as my site was deteriorating, the contrast of the card text was good enough and the text size was good enough. But as it was deteriorating, I needed more time to read the card text during the game, especially after they released expansions and stuff. And because I needed to spend more time on the text, when you're playing competitively, there's a timer. So Mm -hmm. the timer starts pressuring you to make your move. And slowly the game became less and less inaccessible as I lost my sight. So I I could play the game if I had enough time. But that time pressure just made everything frustrating and in the end made the game inaccessible. Yeah, that's understandable. It'd be nice if... Games like that, especially digital games where there's a lot of reading that you have to do on those cards. If there was like a pause function for you to read through yeah, the information absolutely. and then continue into your decision making. Yep. So you host a podcast as well, Sightless Fun. So mm-hmm. how did you get into creating content about visual accessibility in gaming? Yeah, so last year around June, I was thinking about blogging about my hobbies. And like over the years, I've had different hobbies that I was interested in. Like uh, mainly it was photography, (laughs) which is a bit ironic, I guess, because I can't really do that anymore. And I was looking for alternatives, like video games was also another one. And around the same time, I got into board games. It was like around the beginning of 2018. And mm-hmm. while like looking for new games to pick up, I ran into Meeple Like Us. Probably the listeners here know about that site. Like if they're listening to this podcast, they probably <laughs> know about Meeple Like Us. So yeah. it's a site where they share accessibility teardowns of games and rate them based on their accessibility. And that's what basically inspired me to write about how I, as a blind gamer, play board games and what types of mods I do or share what type of information I'm looking for from my sighted friends when I'm playing a game. So that's how I first started writing articles and then decided to try podcasting. So yeah, right now we have about 16 recorded episodes and yeah, they'll 
probably be more currently on a break. Awesome. And so when you're scheduling guests, what are you looking for as far as the guests that you're speaking to and the content that you discuss on the show? Yeah, well, uh, initially, I wasn't really planning to have many guests on the show because I had my co-host, Jed Alexander, who we started the podcast together with. Mm -hmm. But after, I believe, four episodes, he really like ran out of time, didn't really have enough time to commit every couple of weeks to the podcast. So basically, I had to pivot. And it, I recorded a couple of solo episodes, which I am not so happy about. Like, it feels a bit weird to listen to myself alone, I guess, <laughs> and not have that back and forth. So it was either like, stop there or look for alternatives. And by that time, I knew a couple of people who were blind and were in the hobby much longer than me, like Ryan Peach, one of the people that you interviewed several yeah. episodes ago. It's mm -hmm. one of them. Like I talked to him, like, what am I going to do? And yeah, I decided like to look for blind gamers mostly and get their experiences, like the games that they enjoy playing, the types of mods they do on their games. And yeah, so generally it's been blind gamers. And after I start basically like the second season of the show, I'd also like to find people in the industry that pay more attention to visual accessibility like mm -hmm. mostly right now the things that are done in accessibility are done by accident i guess it's not like specifically designed for that but yeah awesome and when you are looking for guests what is that process like for you as far as finding your guests and scheduling them and setting up the interview? Yeah, well, I usually like spend time on Twitter. Like most of the people I have found are through Twitter. I also ended up finding a guest. So I, <laughs> this is actually an interesting story. I posted a question on an ask me anything thread on Reddit where the Spirit Island designer was doing an AMA. And mm -hmm. I asked him like how visually accessible he thinks the game actually is. Like would blind gamer be able to play it? And like he answered that he thinks it's a bit complex. Like the decision space is too high, but with enough patience and sighted assistance, it's definitely doable. And like maybe about three or four weeks later, some random person replies to my comment, linking me to a BGG thread where another blind gamer was looking for an accessible rulebook for the game. So <laughs> I like, and uh, well, the publisher then responded that they will prepare a Word document of the rulebook for him. So I got in touch with the blind gamer and later ended up having him as a guest and he'll probably be a returning guest i really had a great time recording with him his name was chris so basically the process is i don't know like if i run into another blind gamer i just get in touch with them ask them whether they've heard about the podcast send them a couple of episodes to listen to and ask them if they would be interested to talk about a topic or i don't know their favorite game perhaps or how they basically play blind yeah, how you found Chris is really cool. That's one of the things I like about the board gaming community, especially 
I'm on Twitter a lot too, and the community there is really friendly and open and you can find a lot of great people there yeah yeah definitely like they always like if they see a person looking for something help they are great with i don't know pinging either me or meeple like us then meeple like us uh, michael pings me like this is the guy that can help you out so yeah yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's great <laughs> and so who is the target audience for your show as far as who you see listening to it well, primarily the idea is to introduce blind people to hobby board gaming, but well, blind and visually impaired. Also, I'd say that there's plenty of information there for game designers, because in our conversations, we mention like things that will make our lives much easier when playing games. Mm -hmm. And some of those things simply improve the game for sighted people as well. Like the most basic thing that just comes to mind right now is, I don't know, having distinctly sized components for different denominations of resources. Like uh, if you have one gold, five gold, ten gold, if they have their own size or shape, it looks much better on the table having different sizes rather than just to have a <laughs> number one or number five. So I guess like game designers can also find good information as well. Like in one of our episodes, I was talking about quarterbacking in cooperative games. I believe it was episode four. And mm -hmm. I didn't really expect to get any messages, but I got a few messages from designers that people think that quarterbacking is bad. And yeah, it is bad when someone's doing it. But what they don't realize is that games that can be quarterbacked are actually very accessible to a blind person because there's no hidden information. And those games can easily be played by someone who's blind because a sighted person can easily assist. And that sighted person is also in the game. They don't have to be just there to help the blind person. They're also actively playing the game themselves. So by mitigating quarterbacking, you might end up introducing things that can make the game less accessible to blind people. So yeah, that's why I guess there's stuff for blind people, there's stuff for game designers, and I guess for just normal sighted board gamers who, I don't know, have a blind or visually impaired friend and they have never thought about inviting them over for a game night. Yeah, that's I've never specifically thought about the quarterbacking thing that you mentioned, but that does make a lot of sense. Oh. Gaming with open information, having that to be easily something that somebody else could help if you had a question or needed to know what the state of something was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they can like provide what decisions are open to you currently, mm -hmm. but as yeah. long as they don't like make the decision for you, like that's, that's great. Like I enjoy playing pandemic a lot. And I know what questions to ask now. And like the more you learn the game, you know what kind of information you're looking for. And <laughs> maybe sometimes I end up being the quarterback <laughs> and <laughs> doing the decisions for the others. But yeah, you know, like as long as the player is careful not to make decisions for other players in the game. Yeah, it's 
it's not really bad if a game is prone to quarterbacking because that means it's quite accessible to blind people. Yeah, and I find that they're generally easier to teach. I teach a lot of games because my husband and I host game days pretty frequently. And so Mm. games that have that open information where I can explain what decisions someone has if they're just learning a game, that is really helpful to be able to do that. So when it comes to producing the content for your show, what are some challenges that you face in getting the show from scheduling to live on air? Yeah, well, initially when I started, I needed my brother. My brother was helping a lot with the editing, but he also like didn't have enough time. I mean, it was new, like we used Audacity back then and it was quite new mm-hmm. to him as well. So I don't know, for a 40 minute episode, he still needed like three or four hours and it was a lot for him. And later I decided to, oh, I also forgot to mention, like what we would do is to like, because he needed to spend the time and I wanted to help him. What I was doing was first go through the episode, like uh, take notes of the time where things need to go out or need to stay or things Mm -hmm. that he need to, I don't know, like merge, bring this from here to here. I would like spend, I don't know, an hour or two doing that. And then he would spend another three or four hours going through the episode, following my notes and applying them. But later I decided to look into doing it myself using a screen reader. And I I found another program called Reaper. And there's an open source, I think, tool that's made specifically for Reaper to make it accessible using the screen reader. Uh, I ended up finding a tutorial by a blind podcaster about simple, like the basics of editing. And my brother helped me out with creating a couple of effects chains, basically to automate the noise reduction, the, I don't know, the leveling of the different tracks. So that right Mm -hmm. now that is pretty much one button press and applies it to the whole track. While for the editing, I do it myself. For the first episode, it took me, I don't know, I think it was episode nine and it was around 15 minutes or so. It took me around 10 hours to produce that 15 minute MP3 (laughs) file. But right now I have got it down to about three or four hours for one hour of final audio. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. It's definitely much slower than well, what sighted people would do, because you can simply like see the waves and see where, I don't know, uh, the ums, the ahs, the, I don't know, the various noises that shouldn't be there are just with vision. And I need to scan the audio just by listening to it. But it's, it's quite, it's quite nice now. Like I'm got into that workflow. It works fine for me. So yeah. Yeah, that's great. You were able to reduce the time. That's pretty significant going from 10 hours to three or four hours. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I think that's one thing, you know, when before I started doing the podcast, I had never thought about how much time beyond the actual recording of the show it would take to actually make it listenable and getting it out there to people. 
but it's a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is like the planning initially and what happens like when you don't have really a chemistry with the guest and you need to do the heavy lifting and like most <laughs> listeners will tell that English is not my primary language. And that was one of the like fears that I had, like, what am I doing here? And, you know, and when you get guests that like answers the questions with just, I don't know, two sentences and you plan that to be a five minute discussion, you need to do the heavy lifting. So it's not just like <laughs> you plan for this and it will go as smooth as just like you thought it would. So yeah, it's, it, 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 it's not easy. Yeah, timing of content is always interesting. I mean, for playability, we're typically 15 to 20 minutes. And mm. it's interesting. Sometimes I've had it where I'm like, oh, I don't know if we're going to make it that far. And then sometimes I'm like, wow, I could just talk to this person all day. We could just keep recording forever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so what is one of your favorite things about producing content? Well, I enjoy the process itself. Well, I almost also started with written articles initially. And well, I didn't mention one of the challenges there were the photos themselves. I still needed to bother my brother to take the photos. And that's why mm -hmm. that I have put my written articles on hold for now and focused more on the podcast itself. But as far as my favorite thing about it, it's meeting new people. I met a lot of people through the site, well, the blog and the podcast itself. Like we got together multiple blind people and uh, no, we are hosting a group voice chat mostly now that Ryan Peach is hosting. And we created a mailing list where we can share like what games we're currently playing and stuff like that. So I guess... I believe like the podcast helped bring a few of us together. Like, uh, I don't know, Ryan knew Nancy, uh, another blind board gamer. And he introduced me to her. Then a couple of other friends, I introduced them to Chris that I found through the BGG forum post he posted about Spirit Island. And now we have mm. a small group together where I don't know we share our experiences, like recommendations for games or how do you make this game accessible? Like I, I never thought Seven Wonders would be playable with sighted assistance alone until like Ryan said, wait, uh, like the game mechanics are in a way that the game is actually very accessible without any modifications. Like even though your hand is secret because you will pass your hand to the player next to you, that player can easily like tell you what cards you have in hand. And when you choose a card, that card will be public anyway. So mm -hmm. there's no point in having that card secret. So yeah, simple things like that are really nice. So meeting new people has been my favorite part of producing content. Yeah, I would have to agree. I've got to meet a lot of people, whether I'm at a con meeting people or just the people that I talk to here on the show. Like, if I weren't doing this podcast, I might never have talked to you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite thing as well. So if people would like to find you online, either to just keep up to date with what you're doing or listen to the show or reach out to talk to you, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at SightlessFun, or you can 
reach me via email, sitelessfun at outlook.com. And you can find the podcast on www.sightless.fun. Awesome. And for our listeners, if you have any questions or comments you would like to share with us, please email us at playabilitypod at gmail.com. You can also find us on major social media platforms at playabilitypod. So thanks, Erte, for being on the show today. It was great talking to you. Oh, thank you. This was great. Yeah, and I hope this episode helps you play with a new perspective. Perspective.